Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the latest episode of Happiness in Humans. I'm delighted to have the uh, my mum's favourite author with us, uh, <laughs> Mike Viking. Um, how are you, Mike? Very well, Matt. Thank you. Why? Why only your mom's favorite author? And mine, and my children, <laughs> and all my family. <laughs> um, oh wait! Everyone wants to see the witch. It's Halloween. Oh, what are you? What are you dressed as? Oh, she is a witch. <laughs> you've been um, you've been gazumped by a witch, right? Um, so if you're watching this in five years' time, it is Halloween. My, my daughter is not a witch. But, um, oh, she is a witch. <laughs> so, um, Mike, um, please introduce yourself. So my name is Mike Viking, and I run something called the Happiness Research Institute here in Copenhagen. And then I'm Matt's mum's favorite author. <laughs> I think you should change your. Um, I think you should change your LinkedIn bio. To take that. Um, Mike, um, first question that we have to ask everyone on Happiness and Humans is, what makes you happy? I think I'm very ordinary when it comes to what makes me happy. Uh, you know, a sense of connection with other people, a sense of purpose and meaning in life. But also just, you know, having a good time with my friends and family. Uh, last night I went out with uh, three guys I went to high school with for uh, dinner and drinks. Um, and, I mean, we had a good time talking about old times. Uh, so, you know, connecting with other people, uh, enjoying good food, uh, having a sense of purpose and meaning in life. I think those are, are core ingredients for me in, in happiness or the good life. Yeah, love I love that, Mike. And... Um... The, the biggest question that I've asked anyone on this series, um, which good luck with this one because I can't answer this one, <laughs> is what is happiness? Happiness, um, whether we talk about happiness, well-being, quality of life, the good life, to thrive, all of those are umbrella terms, right? They are complex, wide terms that we might have different Sort of perceptions of so you have one idea of what happiness is to you i might have another one um, and basically what we need to do with those complex terms is just break them down and look at the different ingredients or the different sort of dimensions they consist of yeah. and we do that a lot when we look at other phenomenons uh, a complex phenomenon like the um if we talked about the uh, the danish economy we would also break that down into growth gdp per capita inflation unemployment rate and that gives us a language to talk about how's the Danish economy doing. So yeah. with happiness, we also need to break it down and look at, at the smaller bits. So we can talk about sort of overall life satisfaction. How happy are we with the life we are living? Um, yeah. We can look at what kind of emotions do we experience on a daily basis. I know you're an expert in, in that. Um, we can look at, you know, do people have a sense of purpose and meaning in life? So, so breaking happiness down into smaller bits, I think, help us have a better conversation around happiness or the good life when you and when you've broken that when you break happiness down mike have you have you ever been um surprised by anything when when you when you've when you've been doing that yeah i mean i'm i'm, I'm easily surprised <laughs> um it's interesting to see when we break happiness down into those different component, components how 
factors impact those components differently. Mm. So for instance, um, you know, day of the week, if we look at what kind of emotions do people experience on a daily basis, yes, then we can see it matters whether we ask them on Mondays or Fridays and Saturdays, right? Yeah. So people report more positive emotions on Fridays and Saturdays than they do on Mondays. Yeah. It doesn't impact when we ask them about how satisfied they are with life. You know, yeah. consider the worst possible life you could live, the best possible life you could live. Where do you feel you stand right now on a scale from zero to 10? It doesn't matter that it's Monday, it's rainy, it's gray. You know, I can, I can, I can abstract from, from that notion. So, yeah. so it, 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 it actually surprises me, I think, how good the metrics are and the methods are when it comes to quantifying something as complex and subjective and fluffy as emotions such as happiness. Yeah, no, thanks, Mike. And um, I reckon I'm going to estimate that this is the 450,000th time you've been asked the following question. <laughs> um, and maybe I'm sure maybe I've uh, a low estimate. But um, what, what is Hugo? So Hugo used to be a Danish phenomenon or Danish value, Danish tradition. Now I think it's a it's a it's a global thing. But Hugo, I think the best short definition is the art of creating a nice atmosphere. So you know, it might be you know last night with my friends, you know, having a good time over dinner and beers, connecting with people. Um, it's about comfort. It's about simple pleasures. It's about um, harmony. Um, it's about slowness. It's about taking your time to enjoy life. Um, and of course, that is something that happens around the world. But what used to be sort of a, a Danish monopoly was that we had a word to describe that situation. Yeah. Um, and I think also what still is uniquely Danish is, is we see it as part of the national sort of DNA, part of the national culture. Yeah. Um, but of course, it, it it happens everywhere. Yeah, someone someone said that the other day. Someone did. Someone was joking that the Danes have cornered the market on happiness across the globe, um, which which uh, I think we're going to hold you responsible for, Mike. And <laughs> <laughs> um, Mike, that, so that leads us on to the to the global question. Um, and I remember when I was in Copenhagen, you were talking about different demands um, on on the Research Institute from different countries. And I think you referenced South Korea at the time. Do you, do you see differences um, in happiness around the world or is it, is it globally the same? What's your view on that? Oh, definitely do we see differences in, in happiness um, levels around the world. I mean, the World Happiness Report is a great uh, tool to get insight in that. Uh, there's 155 countries um, in the World Happiness Report. And we can also see happiness moving in different directions in different countries of the world. Yeah. Some countries are getting happier. Um, a lot of Eastern European countries have been getting happier over the past decade. Um, countries like China, countries like the US have gotten less happy over the past decade. Um, but I probably mentioned South Korea when, when we spoke because it's usually the country we get most visits from at the Happiness Research Institute here in, in Denmark. And I think it's because in many ways, South Korea is an example of what a lot of countries have experienced for the past 
generation or two that we have gotten richer as societies. If we take South Korea, they've gone from one of the poorest countries in the world to, to one of the richest countries and have a tremendous growth for the past 50, 60 years. But are really struggling with converting that wealth into well-being. So, 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 so the question is, yes, we are getting richer, but are we also getting happier? And are we able to convert the wealth into well-being? I think that's the key struggle and the key challenge for a lot of countries and yeah it's, it's it's been interesting to have a lot of conversations with journalists and policymakers and politicians from south korea um who are now looking for inspiration for basically how to reshape society um in order to improve quality of life and i think that's tremendously inspiring that you have a country that are, are looking around the world for inspiration when it comes to what can we do to create good conditions for good lives yeah and i um let's so let's let's create let's let's create an environment now where we've got all the world leaders here listening to us mike um and you, there's obviously people use bhutan a lot as the example of the country that that have used gross national happiness um instead of gdp What's your view on changing the metrics? Do you, do, do you think that's a positive thing? Do you, do you have any views on that? On changing the metrics in terms of how we measure progress? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, or changing, I'm not sure changing necessarily is the right word, but, but adding to the metrics. I mean, yeah. I'm fine with the GDP per capita metric. You know, it gives us information, um, but I think we should also add a metric around how are people doing when we are when we look at their quality of life how yeah. do people feel about their lives are they satisfied with life what kind of emotions do they experience i, I think the the uk and in, in some terms are, are leading that uh, with the four uh, well-being questions in the annual survey by the the office of national statistics that's something i look with uh, with envy from from denmark i think we are behind uh, the uk on that one um but yeah having metrics that that tells us you know not only whether we get richer as a society, but also whether we get, get happier. Um, yeah. I, think, I think we need that additional metric for basically being more aware of are we moving in the right direction and also putting more attention on what can we do, what can we create in terms of policy, in terms of urban design, in terms of office politics, in terms of the choices we make on a daily, yearly basis that are enabling people to flourish. I, I think we need a metric to hold us focused on that agenda. There's it's so, it's so many parallels here, obviously, Mike, because our work is obviously on the employee and the, and the customer side. And, and, and we have the same conversation around the profit and loss accounts, because we're always arguing that you should have happiness in there, because we know, we know it impacts. We know it impacts things like productivity. We know it impacts profit and revenue and so on. So. It's so interesting to have it at like a company level and as you're saying at a, at, at, at a global level which i think is such a, an important conversation to get people to have isn't it it is and i and i think you know i think the good news here is also that we are seeing companies organizations international organizations countries moving in this direction yeah i, I think there is an increasing recognition over the importance of well-being for employees and for citizens and the recognition of the validity 
of the measures we have that can capture people's well-being. Um, so, so you know, I'm encouraged by yes, countries like Bhutan, but also countries like um, New Zealand, who passes a well-being budget, right? So, you know, if you want to take part of the national budget, give me an assessment on how is this policy going to impact quality of life for people. Um, I'm encouraged to see OECD. Um, you know, developing their better life index. And yes, classic indicators, jobs, housing, education, but also life, life satisfaction yeah. uh, as part of that metric. So, so, so I think we are seeing more uh, countries moving in this direction for, for sure. Yeah, and I, I, one thing that worries me though is a, on this is a lack of people sharing data on it. So you, you may or may not have got it in your press today, but it was a, there was a huge vote this week in the UK where politicians voted to take away free school, free school meals from children, um, which, is, which has made a lot of people angry, including myself. Um, and it wasn't even a close vote. It was 60. It was a majority of 60 to, to not continue the free school meals for children. Um, but if you look, if you if you dig really deep, you can find some data that shows that that's a bad financial decision um, to, to to make. But the, the argument is, well, we don't have the money for it, and so on. And I just I I feel like all of us need to work together to find a way to get more of the research out because I just feel like I've, my first instinct is sometimes to be, is anger when you see people. You think you're crazy. Why are you doing this? But then I put my geek hat back on and think, well. We're all responsible for, for sharing the data so that actually people can make really informed decisions. Then if they ignore the data, then that's a moral issue, isn't it? But if we haven't yeah. put data in front of people, then then we I, I, I'm looking at myself really to think how how can we better help people make on the decisions? But have, have you got any thoughts on how we can share more data across the world on this type of stuff? I think I think one key, if if you want to, <clears throat> if you want to influence policymakers, I think one key there is that we have to start putting um, dollars and cents or pounds and and pennies on the impact that happiness have. You know, the price of unhappiness. Um, I, I I think we need to calculate that, and I think, you know. That's often how we convince policymakers and politicians by showing them what is the impact when it comes to sort of the, the financial impact of improving quality of life for people. So, <clears throat> for instance, what we are doing now is we've been looking at um, how does people's uh, quality of life. Um, how does different diseases impact quality of life for, uh, among people? Yeah. Um, and we can see when people are less happy in the coming year or two years, they cost more in you know, the, the healthcare sector. Yeah. For us, that's an argument when we have conversations with Danish politicians that we should prioritize people's well-being because essentially they will be less costly for the healthcare sector. Yeah. I think I think that is sometimes what is needed if we want politicians to have the courage to make decisions around well-being. Uh, we, we need to give them um, arguments in terms of, of uh, 
in Danish it would be kroner and euro, uh, for you would be pounds and pennies or, or, or euros or dollars, depending on where you're listening. Yeah. But I think, I think we need to give them that argument. Yeah. No, Mark, I think it's such a good, it's a good flip of the script of spin is that the, the cost of, the cost of unhappiness and less two, two more questions and we'll take a really serious one. I, I as I said before, I was watching your, um, your recent TED talk. Um, which is obviously a very serious subject on the on the dark side of, of happiness. Uh, people can go and watch that, so I'm not going to make you deliver the whole TED talk again. But <laughs> what I'd like to ask you is why you why you selected um, the dark side of happiness as as your TED talk. What 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 was in it in that subject that made you want to talk about it? Oh, I think part of it has to do with the fact that Denmark is often called the, the happiest country in the world. And I just wanted to talk about sort of the, 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 the other end of the spectrum. You know, yes, statistically speaking, on average, um, because a lot of these rankings are based on national averages, Denmark and the other Nordic countries are the happiest countries in the world. But there's still people living in those countries that are struggling with life, that are suicidal, that are living with depression and so on. Um, and we can also see when we look within the US states, if we look at the individual uh, 50 states in the US, um, states with a higher level of life satisfaction have a slightly higher level of suicide rates. So the theory is that it might be more difficult to be unhappy in an otherwise happy society because we compare ourselves with other people, and that contrast up against happier people might make my unhappiness feel stronger. Yeah. So, so that's why I wanted to talk about it. And I also wanted to talk about it because a lot of people think that Denmark has a, a really high suicide rate, uh, which fortunately we don't anymore, but we used to have. Uh, and, and we talked about this before we, we, we started the interview, but, but um, back in 1980, so 40 years ago, uh, the suicide rate in Denmark was around 36 per 100,000. And I think it was one of the highest in the world, if not the highest in the world at the time. So 36 per 100,000 40 years ago. And now it's around 9 per 100,000. Yeah. So it's been reduced greatly and it's been reduced because you know we become better at prevention suicide hotlines but also having removed the stigma around mental illnesses it's now easier to talk about um, mental illnesses there is less of a stigma it means people are more likely to open up to seek help um, I think treatment have become better um, some of the methods that people were applied have been removed. Um, so there's a lot of different reasons why Denmark have been able to reduce uh, suicide levels uh, to that extent. And I think that's an encouraging message uh, because we are seeing still a lot of countries uh, struggling with, with, with high suicide rates. Yeah. So, so I think that's why I thought it was important. And I think it's important also as a happiness researcher not only to focus on the nines and the tens on the scale from zero to 10 when we look about life satisfaction, but look at the entire spectrum yeah. of life satisfaction. Um, 
And I think also coming back to the whole policy area, I think you know, we, we have an obligation also to focus our efforts to where well-being is most scarce. Um, so so that's yeah that's that's why i wanted to dive into that subject no I th i'm so pleased and anyone that's listening please do go and um listen to it it's really powerful and important stuff mike um, and 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 just one other build on it one thing that in our own understanding of happiness at the happiness index we've we've advised all our clients and our, and we've done it ourselves to take out um targets on happiness and obviously we were talking about metrics earlier because we've evolved our own view away from seeing like low happiness in our system as bad and and high happiness as good um and then we now see them as just emotions to learn from yeah um and i, I just the more everyone talks about this stuff and mental health and everything the more we learn and the more we evolve our views so thanks mike um, and on a more um finish on a lighter note <laughs> um you've decided to pick the biggest ever lockdown the world has ever had to um, open a museum. <laughs> is, this to, um, is this just to make us like, make us go crazy that you've opened it but we can't come and see it? Tell us, tell us about it, Mike. I think it was, I think it was the other way around. I think the, the, the lockdown picked us. Um, so, so for the past few years, we've talked about creating a happiness museum. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's because at the Happiness Research Institute, we get a lot of mails from people who want to come by and see the office, right? Mm -hmm. And it's because it sounds like a magical place, right? <laughs> the Happiness Research Institute. You know, here's a room full of puppies. Here's a room full of yeah. chocolate. Let's see what happens, right? Yeah. But, you know, uh, now, of course, most of us are working from home, but, but back pre-corona, you know, it was a regular boring office with nine people sitting in front of computers looking at numbers. Yeah. Uh, so, so quite disappointing when you were expecting, you know, colorful unicorns. Yeah. Um, so we thought, why don't we create a place where people can come and explore the questions and answers that, that we are working with? Um, so we decided to, to go ahead and, and, and create the Happiness Museum. And it's, I mean, it's designed on a, on a shoestring budget. So it's, it's a small museum, but about the big things in life, as we like yeah. to say. And we give people an introduction to the wonderful complexity of happiness. So people spend about an hour, an hour and a half in there, and then they see the history of the happiness. So how have the perception of the good life evolved over time? We look at the science of happiness. So how do crazy people like you and me try to quantify uh, the unquantifiable? Um, how does happiness look around the world? Um, we look at the geography of happiness. We look at the politics of happiness. So, so looking at happiness from many different angles, and and hopefully people come out a little wiser and a little happier and a little more motivated to make the world a better place. It's, it sounds amazing, Mike, and it's a good segue um, to summarize and finish on, and I, because I have to explain why you're my second favorite author, um, <laughs> because. How you describe that um, links to my first favorite author, which is Raul Dahl, um, who is, for, for those that don't know, Raul Dahl wrote um, Willy Wonka and the Charlie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, um, which this sounds like the happiness version of that, uh, Mike. So I've decided to make you my joint favorite author. Now that you've got your own chocolate factory, happiness factory, we can all come and visit when COVID's over. Deal. 
So, uh, Mike, I just want to finish with thank thanks so much for your work. It's so important. Um, we, lo we love what you're doing. And thank you for taking the time to, to share this with us. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks, Mike. Have a great day. You too. Cheers. Bye-bye.